Again, it's so good to see you and particularly our guests. We've got, we've got former members here from foreign places like South, South, South Florida. It's good to have the elder lynches with us again. We miss them still and would remind them that we do not have hurricanes here. Just a saying. John chapter 14. For guests, if it's your first time, I am uh, proceeding through the book of John in my preaching in the morning. As uh, Pastor Morris is preaching, uh, and he's just finished his Ephesians series, he'll be starting a new series when he returns largely in the evening services. While he's away, I'm doing a little mini-series on the Christian life in the context of the current world in which we live. And so uh, I look forward to seeing you back this evening for the Lord's Day evening time of celebration. But again, this morning we're back to John 14. Picking up, In verse 15, we stopped in verse 14 two weeks ago, and we'll proceed now with verse 15. I'll read through the end of the chapter. That's where the unit carries us. We'll only look at the first two or three verses this morning, however. Follow along. God's inerrant, infallible word. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And... I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. 
If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise. Let's go from here. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever and forever. Pray with me if you will. Lord, thank you so much for this glorious morning. For your wonderful word. We ask now that you hear our prayer. Illumine our minds. Open our hearts. Grant us faith that we might believe. Father, help us not to sit in judgment of your word, but rather sit under the preaching of your word. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Through the history of the church, the history of God's people, uh, there's always been a struggle with the tension that exists uh, between uh, two positions, and we've labeled them legalism and antinomianism. Legalism, technically speaking, is that you believe you can do enough to be saved. But in its more common usage, legalism is, uh, is, is, is spoken against uh, largely by people who say, oh, no, keeping God's law, that's not, that's not what we're about. We're grace, grace, grace people. I'm not into keeping the law. Then you have the antinomians. The antinomians say, uh, say no, no law for me. The legalists say, yes, law for me. I'm going to live by the law. The antinomians say, no, I'm just going to live by grace. And to err in either of those positions, taking either of those, either you say, you know, it's the law. And you just thump people all the time with the law. Or it's no no law, it's just grace. Either way you go there, you're, you're sinning against Jesus. This is the best way it's ever been put that I've read. I'm going to share it with you. The gospel, like its blessed master, is always crucified between two thieves. Legalist of all sorts on the one hand and antinomians on the other. The legalist robbed the Savior of the glory of his work for us. Did you get that? If you think you're living out the law can add one thing to your salvation, then you're robbing from Jesus what he alone could do. Keep the law perfectly. 
On the other hand, the antinomians rob him of the glory of his work within us. The legalist robs Christ of the work he did for us. The antinomian robs him of the work that he's doing in us. Present tense. It's like with everything. You know, when you study historical theology, the history of the church, there are these pendulum swings. And you've got the legalist bouncing off, the antinomians bouncing off. It's right here. When the clock is ticking and you can't even hear it, that's where it's right. That's when it's keeping proper time. You have the proper view of the law and you have the proper view of grace. And they are complementary. That's what verse 15 says, isn't it? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see that? Loving Christ and keeping the commandments go together. Jesus doesn't say, if you love me and all that I've done for you, you won't keep the law. You know, that's, that'd be wrong. He doesn't say, if you love me, you'll keep the law to show me how much more you love me. It's right there. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You keep my commandments because you love me. You love me, you show people that you love me by keeping the commandments but there's a problem and Jesus of course knowing all things knows all things knew that and isn't interesting it's almost like verse 15 hangs out there not belonging to the previous literary unit and and not belonging to the next one just kind of being there unless you know the rest of the scriptures Scripture interprets Scripture, and the theology of the Scripture interprets Scripture. And you realize when Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments, you understand exactly why he then moves directly into comments about the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's coming in fullness to do his work in his people. Why do I say that? Because... If you've been a Christian long, you've had the Romans 7 experience. Where Paul tells us the law is good and holy and righteous. And I can't do it. And I know I'm supposed to. The things I know I'm supposed to do, I don't do. And the things I know I'm, I'm not supposed to do, I do them. Oh, wretched man that I, I, notice what he says, I am. There's a whole series of I, 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 I's in Romans chapter 7. Sounds like Ricky Ricardo for those who are who into old classic television. If television can be classic. I, I, I. And then Paul turns the theological corner, doesn't he? Chapter 8 comes. And Paul says, here's the remedy. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is not the problem. I'm the problem. The law is fulfilled in me by the Holy Spirit. I've been trying to do it in my own flesh. 
I've been trying to do it my way. It's the Holy Spirit at work in me to will and to do his good pleasure. That's where I'm happy. I'm a wretched man back here trying to do it in my flesh. I'm a happy, happy, happy man over here in Romans 8, living, walking in the Spirit with the Spirit. See, if you know your Bible, you understand why Jesus moved immediately from, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, to the Holy Spirit. We'll be looking at that over the next few weeks. But for today, let's be mindful of this. The Spirit is the secret to verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, I need to tell you this. You look at the commentators who have studied this Gospel of John in, in, in all its minutia. They will tell you that this is the very first time that the Lord commands in, in John. This is the very first time that he commands us to love him. You can go back and read. He's commanded us to love one another. And he's commanded us to love or, or that he loves us. He said, I love you and you're to love one another. And now he says, if you love me. You say, yeah, but he's saying, yeah, yeah, well, it's, it's, in, it's in the case. And somebody's going to ask me this, so I'll go ahead and answer it. So if we know it means since you love me, why don't they just translate it that way? Well, it's one of those cases where, you know, translators get in ruts like everyone else. And so they've just left it alone over the centuries of translations instead of changing it from if to since. Because it is if in the subjective sense, but because it is in the subjunctive, it's since. You said, that's way more than I cared to know. Just tell me, is that what it means? Since you love me, you will keep my commandments? Yes. That's what it means. So he's speaking to the church with every expectation that we love him. And this is the first time he says it. And then he enters into the first of five statements he makes about the Holy Spirit. And those are going to unfold through chapter 14, 15 to 16. This is the first. And we'll come back four more times to his teaching on the Holy Spirit through these three chapters. So let's get started. First thing, if you love me, and he couples it with keeping the commandments. And I want you to notice simply, and we're looking only at the first point this morning. The Spirit works uniquely in the Christian life, verses 15 through 17. If we are to keep the commandments of God because we love him, we can only do that because of our dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Our walking in the Spirit. That answers a lot of our questions, doesn't it? 
you know, why, why did I not do, why, I know what I'm supposed to do. Why did I, why did I do that? That's not what I, I know to do. Well, it's because we, we so easily get into the, into the flesh. And at that point, we become legalist. Doing it in the flesh. The spirit works uniquely in the Christian life. First, as I've noted already, we're assured that we shall keep the law as an expression of our love of Christ. Since we love him, we shall express our affection for him in obedience. So let me just ask you a question. How do you view the law of God? And if you say it's onerous, it's a burden, then you're trying to do it in the flesh. And you're not doing it in the spirit. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me that. The Bible comes out even more bluntly and says this in 1 John. He says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. You say, well, but he said that in chapter 14. Didn't we read that? Yes, we did. But John adds something else to it in his first epistle. In 1 John 5, he says this, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, if you're sitting here and you say, well, John hasn't walked in my shoes. Uh, Yeah, I think he probably did. There's nothing new under the sun. But here's the difference between you and John. John knew what Jesus said in chapter 14, and he believed it, and he lived that way. He lived in dependence upon the spirit of the living God, and he didn't pursue walking in the flesh. You say, oh, he was perfect. No, I'm sure he sinned, but he would come back to it. Here's the thing. Anytime we start feeling like, you know, man, This is tough, this Christian life, this keeping the law, doing the law. Just remember, oh, when I think it's burdensome, that's a sin. Because the Bible says it's not burdensome. I need to repent of my sin. I need to get back to where I need to be, and that is, dear Lord, help me. I am absolutely dependent upon you. Spirit of the living God, please help me. Make this joyful. Give me the the power to do this. And you know what? He's promised to do that. If if, if we're told in Philippians chapter 2 that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it's he who's at work in us to will and to do his good pleasure. Do you see that? He, God is at work in us to want to do his good pleasure and to do his good pleasure. Sometimes we don't even have the want to, do we? Sometimes we just want to just quit. Because this is tough. Sin's all around me. Everybody else seems to just have a grand old time just living in sin. They seem to have fun. And I seem to, well, you need to remember, 
you've fallen into sin. You found it a burden. You're not living in the joy of the spirit. You're with David. You're needing to pray the prayer. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And part of the joy of his salvation in us is the fruit of the spirit. And that's love, joy, peace, etc., etc. Right? So this passage calls us to a lot of soul searching and a lot of repenting. It's not onerous. We're uniquely imbued with the Holy Spirit, unlike the regenerate people around us. And the law of God is for us to love. With the psalmist, I love your law, O Lord. That should be our refrain. I love your law, Lord. Thank you, Spirit, for helping me with this. Now, you say, you just said that we're uniquely filled with the Spirit, unlike unregenerate people. Well, that's because the Bible says so. Notice verse 16. He's given to us, verse 16 says. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. We're unique. And we're uniquely blessed by the spirit. We're uniquely gifted by the spirit. Unlike this world. I mean, how often in the Bible do we have to be told that we're different? We're light, they're darkness. We're blessed, they're cursed. You say, well, that sounds kind of arrogant. No, it's not arrogant because that's God. But for the grace of God, we'd be in that category too, folks. But here, we have this unique gifting of the Holy Spirit. The Son asks the Father, and the Father gives another helper. Notice what it says in verse 17, too. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you, present tense he's presently actively dwelling with you and because somebody's going to say yeah but what about the future well Jesus answers that doesn't he he not only presently actively dwelling with you and future tense he will be in you Jesus covers it's now, it's future. This is not limited to time. This is not limited to location. This is ongoing, ongoing, ongoing work. The Spirit is going to be with you. Spirit's going to be in you. And yet the world doesn't get it. Doesn't that explain a lot? As we live and work and move in the world... And people out there just don't get it. They don't get why we set apart this day as holy. 
we don't do our work on this day. Six days you have given to labor. We come into a place like this and we sing hymns and psalms and we pray and we recite old confessions and we, we profess that we are sinners, undone, un, ungodly people. And we listen to the reading of the word and the preaching of the word. And we sing again and we go out of these four walls rejoicing. And the world thinks that's the dumbest thing they could ever imagine when there's so much to do at the golf course and the country club. And the theaters are already open and the restaurants are already open and on and on it goes. And they think, what silly people, they're going to be late for lunch. I'm going to be ahead of them. Ha ha. Silly Christians. Why? Because they can't see or know the spirit. But we do. For you know him. He dwells with you and will be in you. So that's the first thing. We're to keep the commandments. We can't keep them on our own. Spirit's coming. Help us keep them. And the world doesn't understand this. We're unique. We're different. Now we have to answer the question, who's the spirit that he's talking about? Notice, I said who, not what. That's a mistake that some people picked up from an older translation that translates the Holy Spirit as a which or what. He's a who. We know that all through the Bible. You can grieve him. You can lie to him. You can't do that to an inanimate object, a what or a which. But to a who. He's the third person of the Holy Trinity. He's the Spirit of God. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That infers first that there is another helper. Well, he's talking about himself, of course. You say, well, how do we know that? Well, because that's a term that is used for Jesus all the way through the New Testament. The helper, the one who comes along beside us, the paracleton. It literally means helper, mediator, Jesus, the only mediator between God and man. Yet here we're learning that there's another one who mediates for us too, the Holy Spirit. We learn about that in Romans chapter 8. We pray and we don't always know how to pray. The Spirit will help us pray. He's our helper in prayer. We read the Bible, we don't always understand what the Bible's saying. The Holy Spirit's going to guide us into all truth. He's going to help us understand the Word of God. He's mediator for us. He's an intercessor for us. He's the encourager, we're told. He's the advocate. You say, where is it? Where's the Bible say Jesus is an advocate? Well, John does it for us for one place. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. One, Jesus, the righteous one, is our advocate, the paracleton, the advocate. He's the one that stands for us 
Aren't you glad that you have a Savior who stands for us? Remember when Stephen, Acts chapter 7, when he was being railed upon, he was being stoned, and he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord stood for him, an advocate for him. Isn't that good? But he's in heaven, and we have one who is with us and in us, standing for us. At every moment. Testifying with our spirits that we're his children. When we feel lonely. He reminds us, no, you're not alone. You're a child of the living God and I'm right here with you. He does that for each of the children. No matter where we are. And there's millions of us living at any given time, and he can do that for us no matter where we are on this earth, all of us simultaneously, in our sleep, in our waking hours, in our sickness, in our good health. And you think about this. The believer that may even be in a coma, and there's the spirit, advocating, helping, interceding, When you and I can't do it for them, God can. Jesus, one commentator said it this way, Jesus had been with them for a short time, but the other paraclete, his alter ego would be with them permanently and not only with them, but in them. See, Jesus couldn't be in them. As the God-man, he could only be with them. That's the reason he's going to pray for the Father. And, and we find out in chapter 16 that both he and the Father send the Spirit. That's why we confess that we believe in, in the Holy Spirit being proceeded, or proceeding rather, from the Father and the Son. It's because John 14 through 16 teaches us that truth. Jesus had been with his disciples. He'd been their champion on earth. But since he's about to leave them, he's not going to leave them defenseless. He's not going to leave them without someone to care for them. And he sends another one. And by the way, this is not the word for another one of a different kind, but another one of the same stuff. In other words, we're getting the divine nature of the Holy Spirit taught us here in this passage that he's just like Jesus only he's spirit without a body and that means he can be ubiquitous with us at all places at all time when Jesus was up in Galilee he couldn't be with the saints down in Jerusalem that's no longer the case with the spirit's work on this earth he can be with his saints everywhere he's another one of the same eternal substance third person of the holy godhead if you love me you'll keep my commandments how can that be possible the spirit of truth by the way that's another way we know that this is 
spirit of the same stuff is because Jesus has just told them a few verses earlier. Remember how important context is for studying God's word? Just in, back in verse 6, Jesus described himself how? I am the way and the truth and the life. Right? Now the spirit of truth. Another one just like me is coming. And he's going to guide you into all truth. That's as far as we're going to go. But do let these truths settle upon your soul. May they renew your mind so that you'll be transformed to think rightly about two things. One, our love for Christ as we live holy lives in obedience to the law. Our love for Christ as we live obedient lives in obedience to the law of God. Think about that. And then ask yourself, is that, is, is that my goal every morning? To love Jesus that way. I want to love Jesus by keeping the law today. Or do you go out saying, oh, I love you, Lord, and you just live some sort of undefined lifestyle. God's defined it for us. It's in his word. Second, think about the helper in this life. The one who helps us obey the law, the Holy Spirit. And when you pray and you're thanking the Father for all good gifts and you're thanking the Son for the salvation that he gives us and for mediating for us, don't forget the Holy Spirit. Don't forget to be thankful for the Holy Spirit and to call upon the Spirit in those times of need. The Father and the Son didn't leave us on our own. We're not orphans. We have the Spirit of the living God. And we can do all that he's commanded us because of that. That's remarkable to think about, isn't it? You can do all his holy will, not in the flesh, and not by some undefined grace, grace, grace chant that you might have, but by the spirit of the living God bringing you into conformity with the law of God. What a wonderful God we have, that he would tell us that we're to obey him, and then he tells us how to obey him, and then he gives us the spirit to do it. That's grace, properly defined. Father, thank you for that. And we ask now that you would, you would imbue us all with that grace, that we would love you, keeping your commandments, depending on the Spirit in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.